He started his real estate investing career in the end of 2019, and he's already the host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Podcast. This guy, Tony J. Robinson, has blown up short-term rentals in a very short amount of time, and I can't wait for you to learn from him here today on the Fearless Investor Podcast. If you are serious about building your short-term rental business to $10,000, $20,000, maybe even $30,000 a month or more, you have come to the right place. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast, where we teach you all things short-term rentals. The best guests, the best tools, the best strategies. There are so many investing paths out there. It can be seriously overwhelming to start out as a new investor, but take it from me, short-term rentals is the best and the quickest way to build your cash flow. So buckle up, listen in, and get ready to conquer the world of short-term rentals. Here we go. Big opportunity here to get Mount for three months for free. Have you even checked out Mount yet? If you haven't, you need to. Extra streams of revenue, unique amenities for your guests, and absolutely no risk. Think about it this way, offering bikes, golf carts, kayaks, paddle boards, and so much more to your guests with none of the liability while getting paid for those extra amenities. And Mount takes care of everything, payments, insurance, GPS tracking, and there's no cost to get started. You can start making as much as $300 or more per door per month. If you sign up with Mount right now, you're going to get a free consultation and that free three months. Absolutely no risk. It's worth it. Go check it out. Just go to the show notes to get your free three months started. Hey, welcome in everyone to the Fearless Investor Podcast. You're listening to me, Kyle Stanley. Very excited to have Tony J. Robinson on this podcast. And this is a guy that I met him in Nashville back in, gosh, what was that? June or July, somewhere around that time for the Wealth conference with Mike Shogren and Bill Faith. And this was a guy that, you know, I knew about him and I shook his hand. He was a good dude, but I didn't really know enough about him until I left there and was like, oh, I should look up a little bit more about Tony. And the guy is, he's a big deal when it comes to short-term rentals and real estate investing. Over 20 rentals now that he owns, and he's done this in less than three years, and he's used mainly other people's money. I'm really excited for you to learn how he's done that. But if you are serious about getting started, you're going to definitely want to follow him. You're going to definitely want to listen to his content. And oh, by the way, you're definitely going to want to get started with Price Labs. You can get a free 30-day trial with Price Labs if you just go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash Price Labs. Plus, you will also get a free onboarding training with Price Labs and uh, their CEO, Richie. So do yourself a favor. Just get rid of all the, the minutia of pricing and all the headache of figuring out what should I price my calendar out? What's, what, how many minimum days should I do? All that can be done and automated through Price Labs. And you can learn that and you can automate and also make a lot more money and get a lot more occupancy in your properties by using Price Labs. So once again, fearlesskyle.com forward slash Price Labs and get that free 30-day trial plus an onboarding training. With that, let's go ahead and get to it right now with Tony J. Robinson. Guys, welcome in. We are so excited. Tony J. Robinson here coming in. Uh, and, and honestly, Tony, like I, I think I said it before we got on here, like the, a lot of people know you in the space and I've been following your content for a little bit, but I'm excited about this because I really don't know a ton of the story behind you. So today is really cool for me. Plus, we're not that far away. I know we got to meet in Nashville at the Wealth Conference, and that was super brief, but today's really the first time that we get to really have a, an in-depth conversation. So I'm really excited, and I just want to thank you for taking some time today to pour into our audience, man. 
Kyle, I, I appreciate you having me on, brother. Um, you know, like you said, meeting you at the the Wealth Conference uh, was a ton of fun. I met a lot of amazing people there, and and you you did a fantastic job, man. So I'm I'm humbled. I'm grateful to be able to share some some insights with your audience, man. Awesome. Well, Tony, let's get started with my favorite question: What's your craziest short term rental story in the years that you've been in this? Yeah, man. So so mine uh, revolves around uh, a couple of crackheads oh. <laughs> uh, booking not one but two of our properties. So we we have uh, we have properties out in Joshua Tree. Yep. And you know, a lot of folks know JT now, but historically, Joshua Tree was kind of a poverty stricken place in, in a lot of the a lot of the areas there. Um, it's just kind of recently seen like a renaissance has become more popular in the short-term rental industry. Um, so I need to say there, there's some folks in, in the Joshua Tree region that are are holdovers from from what it was, you know, before. And uh, we we have one property, to, it's a tiny house, 391 square feet. And, um, you know, when, when our cleaners showed up to the property one day, they called us and said, hey, Tony, you know, guests are still here. They're not checking out. So, you know, I do my thing. I pick up the phone, I call them. They're not picking up. Um, I'm, I'm like blowing them up and then my, my cleaner starts knocking on the door. Eventually they open up the door. My cleaner's like, Hey, you guys are, you know, you guys supposed to check out like an hour ago. It's time yeah. to go. Um, and they finally pick up when I call and I'm like, Hey guys, like I'm going to have to call the cops if you don't leave soon. Like we've been trying to get you out for like an hour now. So whatever. I, I mentioned the cops. They, they said, cool, we'll get out. And our cleaners say that like, as they're leaving, remember this is a 391 square foot studio. They say they're pulling so much stuff out of the studio. It almost looks like they had moved in. Like they're, they're literally loading up the back of their car with like all kinds of clothing and, and just like stuff that you typically don't bring into an Airbnb. So they, they get out, they leave. Um, and my cleaner shows me like the, the aftermath. So there's, there's literally like toilet paper and paper towels stuffed under all the cabinets. There's like just blood in certain places and there there's needles, there's little baggies of things. So like, like actual drug usage was going on in that property. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, our, our, our cleaners are amazing people. They, they took care of it. They got, they got the property ready for, for the next guest. But, you know, I, I recognize that person's voice because I talked to her on the phone. She had a very distinct voice and, you know, we saw their car on the camera. Right. So we knew, okay, cool. You know, we, we never want to deal with these people ever again. Yeah. I fast forward, maybe two months on a different property. We had a guest maybe three hours after they checked in, they call and they say, hey, we're, we're out of paper towels, we're out of toilet paper, and we need some more towels. And I, I opened up the app. I was, like, they, voice, huh? I was like, I was like, they just checked in. Well, no, this is this. Sorry, they, they didn't call me. They sent me a message and they said, hey, okay. we're out of all this stuff. And I was like, that's that's really weird. They just checked in. So I jumped on the camera to see, is this the same car? And I sent it to my cleaner. She's like, that's the same car. Oh now, what God. they did was they booked originally on that that first time through Airbnb under one person's name. They booked the second property on Verbo using someone else's name. Oh, my God. So once once I put two and two together, the first thing I did, I went onto my Ring app and I made the alarms go off. Like I didn't even call. Her. I just made the alarms go off. And then I called her and on, her name was Gina. I said, Gina, you booked one of my other properties. I know who you are. I know what you're about to do. I need you to leave. And, you know, luckily I was able to, to cut them off before any more damage was done. So once the alarms went off, they, they packed it, they took off and we haven't seen them since. So that, that's been my craziest story is we got hit by the same, same group of uh, drug abusing folks, not once, but twice. Hey, you know, it could be a lot worse. So I've, it could have been, I've, I've heard some really, really big horror stories. So I'm glad that that's all you've experienced. Yeah. Uh, Tony, let's, let's kind of just give people a little bit of frame reference here. Um, you know, to quote Ron Burgundy, you're kind of a big deal. <laughs> not, a, not, a, not at all, man. No, let's let let's just uh, for a second here. Um, give me a, a background of where your your business is at. And by the way, guys, if you're listening in, get questions ready for Tony. 
I know some of you are already engaged in his content. You've been listening to his podcast, all of his uh, content as well. I'm sure you probably have some questions that you'd love to ask Tony. Now is your chance. So if you're watching live right now, start dropping those in the comments. But Tony, first of all, from an Airbnb and short-term rental standpoint, what does your business look like today? Um, love that. And then second part from the uh, content side, um, you know, you've got a lot of really cool things going on that I want to make sure people know about. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have to pull it up really quick just to make sure I, I got the right numbers. So right now we're at 20 active Airbnbs. Uh, we've got another one that's about to go live, hopefully any, any day now. And then we've got another four, 10 that are under contract and, wow. and four that are being rehabbed. Um, so we're, we're busy right now, man. And, uh, you know, we, we started back in 2020. So we, we've scaled to that level in uh, just over two years, man. So it is all owned, right? These are all owned. Yep, yeah, that's great. And our, our model is a little bit different. We can get into that because we, yeah. we use a lot of partnerships to, to kind of help scale our business model. So it's not that I just had this endless amount of capital. But the good thing is, is that once you create a track record in any space, um, it becomes easier to then partner with other folks and kind of bring in the capital you need to, to keep going. So that's where we're at right now. When it's all said and done, we'll be at about 31, I think, active, active listings here shortly. That's great. Are they all in Joshua Tree? Um, so the majority of them are in Joshua Tree. Uh, we've got four active right now in the Smoky Mountains. We've got a fifth one that will hopefully be done in the next couple of months here. It's a new construction. And then we've got uh, two new constructions in Branson, Missouri as well. Sweet. That's awesome. Okay. And then what about from the content side? You know, uh, you've got some cool stuff going on. I just want everyone to know about that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, Kyle. And before I even get into like what we're doing, I just want to share some advice for everyone that's listening. My advice to all investors is, it, and I guess this is if your goal is to scale. My advice to all investors, if your goal is to scale, is to start building your platform early. Yeah. Because unless you have unlimited capital, at some point, it will be beneficial for you to bring in capital from other investors. Yeah. And who do people invest with? They invest with people that they know, that they like, and that they trust. And one of the best ways you can build that, know that, like, and that trust today is on platforms like social media. Um, so it's YouTube, it's Instagram, it's TikTok, it's your email list, it's text messages, it's in-person events, it's the local meetup. The more ways that you can have people know your name and associate positive things with it, the easier it becomes for you to, to start generating capital that you need to, to close on more deals. So just quick backstory, Kyle, I closed on my very first real estate investment on October 23rd, 2019. Okay, Before I had that first deal, I launched my own podcast. So now I'm the coach for the Bigger Pockets Rookie Show. But before that, I have my own podcast and it was called Your First Real Estate Investment. And I started recording that podcast three months before I even closed in that first deal in October. So it's like August, uh, July, and I'm recording this podcast before I even get my first deal. And the reason I did that was because I knew that eventually I wanted more than one single family house. Yep. And the only way I was going to be able to do that is if people knew me. So it was through that podcast that I started to build a name for myself. And you know now we've got a, a, a decent size following today. So yeah, just to recap, where, where we're at today, uh, we've got the, the YouTube channel. We're, we're at almost 30,000 subscribers there. Um, I'm, I'm just under 50K on, on Instagram. My wife's at like 16 or 17. I think we've got like another 25 on, uh, on TikTok. And then we've got an email list of, uh, I don't know, like, 20,000 people or something like that as well. So we, we're trying to trying to tackle it from all angles because we know that there's a, a benefit to being able to do it that way. So first of all, preach brother, because that that's exactly why I started a podcast too. I did my first flip January of 2019. 
And I started my podcast, I think it was like July of 2019. It was just so I could connect with high level people. It wasn't even necessarily to raise money. I was just like, I want to connect with high level people that usually if I say, Hey, you want to go to lunch? <laughs> they probably would be like, who are you? <laughs> you know? Right. So no, that that's awesome, man. I'm glad you touched on that. Do you have like this pinch me moment, uh, knowing that like now you're, you know, hosting one of the bigger pockets podcasts just three years later? Like, is that crazy to you? You know, Kyle, I, I wake up every day and it's almost emotional for me when I think about it. Like, I, I still get kind of choked up even saying it out loud right now because it's like, like, dude, man, like my backstory, the the things that I kind of had to go through to get to the point that I'm at, it, it, it's, it's crazy. And I wake up every day exceptionally grateful that I'm in a position that I can share a story and share my journey and people resonate with that. People are motivated by that. And the the number of times I've had people reach out to me and say, Tony, I, I listened to to what you've preached and now I quit my job. Mm. Like those moments are like, oh my God. So I I'm 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 eternally grateful for for the platform that I have and, and the impact that it has. That's so cool. Well, obviously you've had a ton of success in a very short amount of time. And we're gonna go into that a little bit here in a bit. And I think that's one of the cool things about this industry is that it, it can be built relatively quickly. I think a lot of people we see coming out and saying, hey, I got X amount of properties in X amount of years. And it's it's like, whoa, what's going on in the short-term rental industry? So I'm excited to talk about that a little bit, but I do wanna rewind the clock and look back to when you first uh, were looking to get into real estate. What did life look like before that? Yeah. So like most people, uh, went to college, got a, got a, a job, you know, and kind of climbed the corporate ladder. My, my last position, I worked at Tesla. I was a, a senior manager in their supply chain division. Um, super exceptionally busy. I had a team of like, I don't know, like 600 people spread across seven different buildings in the United States. So I was like, always on, you know, it's like when you have a team that big, like there, there's always something that, that's happening. So I had to kind of eke out my, my real estate, my content creation, you know, like before seven 30 and then after like 6 PM. Um, so it was, it was, a, it was a grind for the, those first couple of years, just trying to kind of put all the pieces in place. But there's so many things that I learned and, and skills that I developed from that W2 job and obviously the capital, right? I mean, that, that job gave me the capital I needed to yeah. get started. So I wish I could have left my job sooner, but I'm, I'm definitely grateful for, for the opportunities and the lessons that it gave me. So what was it about it that you got into with real estate? Was it short-term rentals right away or was it a different exit strategy? So my, my initial goal, Kyle, was to get into apartment syndication. Okay. So one of the, you know, the first, first book I read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like so many other investors, but right. like the second book I read was the best ever apartment syndication book by, by Joe Fairless. And in that book, he talked, he said two things. He said, first, you need a platform, um, which is why I built that podcast. And he's like, second, you need a track record. No one's going to give you money if you've never done this before. Yeah. So I said, okay, cool. I, I know I want to do apartment syndication because my goal was to leave my job and buying a bunch of single family houses, long-term rentals one at a time is gonna take forever. So I, I knew I needed something that, that had more scale to it. But I also knew that I had never done it before, so I needed some, some kind of track record. So back in 2019, I bought that first property. It was a, a long-term rental in Louisiana. I live in California, so I did like a long-distance burr in Louisiana. Um, and I think I ended up picking up like four houses in, in Louisiana, all long-term rentals. And after that, I said, okay, cool. I've got a track record. I've done this a few times. I'm an apartment syndicator. Let me let me go figure this out. So um, I joined a course. You know, I spent a bunch of money to join an apartment syndication mastermind, and um, this is right at the beginning of 2020. Um, so like literally, I think it was like early February 2020 when I joined this coaching program. And we all know what happens a, a month later, right? It's like the the whole world shuts down and and, and COVID happens. And during this time, it's like so hard to to find good apartment syndication deals, right? It's like 
things are being pulled off the market, you know, sellers are getting antsy and it's just like not, wasn't the best time to try and break into that space. And then we did find a deal, but there was so much hesitation from investors because no one knew what the heck was going to happen yeah. in the next six months, right? So it was it was just probably the worst time possible to try and be a first-time apartment syndicator. So I'm, I'm sitting on some capital, me and my partner, and we're just like, man, like, like, what do we do? And we have a friend who says, hey, I know you guys are thinking about this apartment syndication thing. He's like, but I just bought a cabin in Tennessee. And he's like, here, here's how I, here, here's how much money I think I'm going to make with this. And, and me and my partner kind of look at each other like, man, it's like that one cabin is going to do like almost as much as some of these apartment complexes we looked at in these smaller markets. Right. Yeah. So we said, okay, cool. We're, we're going to, we're going to follow you out there. So we ended up putting an offer in on a cabin sight unseen in Tennessee. And man, that one deal like changed everything for us because once we saw the power of Airbnbs and, and short-term rentals, we, we were sold, man. And we picked up three properties that first year, nine that second year. And like, I don't know, we, we, we probably bought like two properties a year so far. So wow. we've just been trying to, trying, to, trying to go all in ever since, man. Yeah. So do you remember the numbers on that Tennessee deal? Is that something you can share with us? Absolutely, man. So we, uh, this was a five bedroom, five bathroom cabin in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So like literally right off the the main parkway in Pigeon Forge, so excellent location. It was built in like 2005. So kind of an older cabin, but still in really good condition. The purchase price, which is crazy to say at this time, but we bought this cabin for $590,000. Okay. That same cabin today is, is probably worth over a million bucks just because of how crazy that market has gone. Um, so we bought it for 590. We used a 10% down second home loan to, to buy the property. So our, our down payment was $59,000. I want to say we negotiated like another like eight grand in credits and then we had some closing costs and then like we spent another like five grand in startup costs, something like that. So all in, we're probably all in for like 65,000 bucks on this one property. Okay. The first full year that we owned it, it did a little over $156,000 in, in gross revenue. And then we profited, I want to say it was like $83,000 on that one property. So it was like a 138% cash on cash return. Why? That one cabin. <laughs> so wait, the 59,000, How do you remember how much you put in for furniture or was it already furnished? It was, a, it was already an existing Airbnb. So that, that, that was the good thing of buying in that market is that the majority of the cabins you bought were already Airbnbs. But here, here's like an interesting take on that, Kyle, is that the previous owner didn't self-manage. They they hired it out to a, a property manager. And some property managers are amazing. Some property managers are terrible. And it's it's super important to, to make sure you're picking and choosing the right one. So we did 156, our very first Airbnb ever, right? The year prior, 2019, that same cabin did $81,000. Oh my gosh. So yeah. it just shows the difference of like, sometimes it's a property, but sometimes it's, it's the person managing it as well. Man, that's so good. You almost doubled your money in year one. Um, I mean, that we're always talking about how, you know, 25, 30% is great. And you're literally going out there doing 200%. What do you think made that deal so specific or so juicy? Was it the location? Was there something special about it? I think there's there's a couple of things, Kyle, and, and I'm definitely no genius, right? I think a part of it was was luck. We definitely bought at the right time. Uh, we we kind of bought while interest rates were still relatively low, but you hadn't seen this this massive run up in, in home prices yet, so it was kind of the the best time to buy. And since we bought in in the middle of COVID, I think there was more demand towards the the kind of Airbnb market in general because folks were trying to avoid the hotels. Um, but first, is, is, is it was a larger property, right? Um, I think typically when you go with a bigger property in a lot of markets, you're, you're going to command more revenue. And we specifically targeted the five bedrooms because we, through our analysis, we saw that 
the best return on investment was either a four or five bedroom. Because once you got to a six bedroom, it was significantly more expensive, but the revenue didn't scale proportionately. Right. And, and the opposite was true if you bought a three bedroom, it was it was cheaper, but the revenue was also significantly lower. So the return wasn't as good. So we kind of saw after doing some analysis of that four and that five bedroom was a sweet spot. So you know, we, we bought right, we bought at the right time, and we we did our best to manage it and, and make sure the guests had a had a pretty good experience there. I think you just said something really important that I I'm sure you get this question all the time, but like, you know, everyone's looking for the the cookie cutter answer of what's the best property to look for. And and you don't know that in, in terms of over the entire US or even globally, there's no way to answer that question. But if you can look at the, the details and the numbers down to purchase price versus nightly rate and overall income, you can really start to, to narrow in on that. And so how did you find that? Was that through your DNA or what, where were you finding that information? Yeah, we're, so we're, we're a Price Labs team. So we do all of our, our analysis through Price Labs. But yeah, it's just like you, you pull the, the market data, you start analyzing a few different bedroom counts and you'll start to see like, man, I've, I've analyzed five, five bedrooms. I've analyzed five, three bedrooms and I've analyzed five, seven bedrooms. And man, that, that all those five bedrooms just seem to be doing a little bit better. So it's like once you once you get enough repetition in the analysis, it becomes a little bit more clear in terms of where the best returns are in, in any market. I love it, man. So from there, you get that first deal and now you're probably saying like, wow, how do I go do that again, right? So what did you do? Did you go raise capital? Or did you have some capital set aside? How did you go get that next one? Yeah, so we we had capital set aside to cover our first uh, four properties. So those first four we bought on our own. So we, we got the cabin, and then uh, two months later we closed on our first single family house in Joshua Tree, and that was in September of 2020, I want to say. And then December 23rd, 2020, I get a call from Tesla telling me that I'm I no longer have a job. Wow. So I wake up two days before Christmas unemployed. And at this point, we had two active listings. Uh, we had just closed on the third one, but it wasn't live yet. And you know, after like the initial shock wears off, I, you know, me and my wife have a, a really candid conversation around like, what do we do next? And you know, both of us, me and my wife, came from kind of entrepreneurial families. Her her dad was in the restaurant industry her whole life. Uh, my dad was in the trucking industry. He owns his own trucking company. Um, so I, I think we both always knew that we wanted to work for ourselves. It was just kind of like we had kind of like a five-year plan, but it got, you know, shortened because of this this decision from from Tesla. And the the decision that we made was, okay, let's give ourselves 12 months. And if at the end of 12 months we're we're happy with where the business is at, I won't go back to work. If we get to the the, the end of that 12 months and we're not happy, then I'll I'll go out, I'll find a I'll, I'll go out and I'll find a job. We we luckily had enough money saved up to where we didn't really have to use any of the income from the business to to live off of. We just had like enough savings to kind of sustain us for that year. And at the end of that next twelve month period, I deleted my resume, uh, deleted my cover letters, changed my LinkedIn profile, and and hopefully now I I never have to go back to to another W two job again, man. So that's so awesome, man. I I think there's you know the name of the show, Fearless Investor, right? We're always talking about fear. And I think one of the biggest things that people fear is starting something and failing. But man, yeah. what what if you never even started? What if December 23rd of 2020 came around and you didn't have these short-term rentals or you didn't have real estate started? Have you ever thought about that? You know, just you, you did, you had a little bit of this, this second hose, this faucet kind of, kind of running, right? So it was like, okay, this feels like the path of least resistance. Let's just try this and go all in. You ever thought about what it would have been like if you just had nothing, nothing else going on at that time? Kyle, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is always what what kind of drove me. Yeah, is that I I always knew that 
no matter how high you get up in a company, you are always just an employee. Mm. And if you dropped dead that day, they will replace you tomorrow because that's how businesses work. And my, my, my dad, when he was in his early 30s, he had spent almost two decades working for the same, or his late 30s, spent two decades working for this company. And it was a, it was a trucking company. He started off like on the dock, you know, like loading up the trucks and, you know, worked his way up through management. And he was a general manager of, of this location and uh, been there for, for, you know, like I said, almost two decades. He gets a call one day saying the company's bankrupt and that everybody just lost their job. And my dad at this point, you know, he's, he's married, he's got two kids, a wife, they had two houses, two mortgages to cover, and they weren't able to recover because they didn't have anything else going for them. Um, so it was a very difficult time for my parents and them getting divorced. Um, and, you know, just like a really traumatic experience for them. And what my dad always told me was that you always want to be in control of, of your own destiny. So even as I'm kind of climbing the ranks, you know, in, in the corporate world, it, it almost just gave me more anxiety because it's like, now I have a bigger paycheck than I need to go out and replace because I, I always had this feeling that I was replaceable because I saw it happen to my dad. So I'm so glad you mentioned that because people are are so afraid of going out on their own, but they fail to recognize the risk of not going out on their own because the, the market could shift. We're, we're in a recession right now. What happens if your job decides to, to downsize and, and yeah. you just happen to be one of the people on the chopping block and you, you've never done anything for yourself. So I'm terrified, Kyle, of, of being in a position where I'm not able to provide for my family. And that's what's always driven me to make sure I have something going for myself. Okay. So now I'm going to ask a little bit of a deeper question because I just yeah. had a conversation with a bunch of uh, guys in my mastermind about this. Fear is a huge motivator for a lot of entrepreneurs, right? You just mentioned it right now. I don't want to get in a position where I can't provide for my family. However, there's only so far that fear takes you, right? Like, cause, and one of my favorite sayings is fear will push you until vision pulls you, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of us get to this point where we're like, okay, yeah, we're being pushed by fear. I wake up at 6 a.m., energized and motivated, mainly because I just want to make sure that I don't lose what I already have. But is there any of that? Have you ever thought about that side of it? The vision? Is there anything that's currently pulling you that is like, this is what is possible versus looking at, hey, I'm just getting up every day and busting my butt because I don't want to have this situation. Does that make sense? It, it does. And, and and it's a it's a great question. And I'm I'm gonna answer it, but I just want to say first that I think the underlying fear for me is always stronger than than the vision. Mm. And 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 here's why. I became a dad when I was 16. So I was a junior in high school when my son was born. And usually you have a kid, you've already kind of figured things out. You've got, you got the income, maybe you've got a place of your own, you're doing these things. But my son kind of had to, to, to grow with me as I went through these different phases. And, you know, so I have my son when I'm 16. Uh, his mom and I, we, we were never even really together. Um, so, you know, there's, there's this custody battle when he's early and we're, we're kind of fighting over, you know, who he spends time with and, and that whole thing. And, um, anyway, I'm, I'm in college and it's, it's the summer, uh, after my, my sophomore year of college, I think my freshman year of college and, uh, I'm dead broke, dead broke. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hustle, but it's summer's out and I had a job working on campus, but I didn't have that job because it was summertime. So I'm yeah. you know, just like trying to make ends meet. Uh, I literally have negative money in my account. Like I'm overdrawn in my account. And that summer, my son started going to, to daycare. And, um, you know, I don't know if you have kids, Kyle, but like a lot of a lot of kids, the first time they go to daycare, they end up getting sick because it's their first time being around so many, so many other kids. Um, and that, that happened to my son. Right. So I'm at home and, and he's got a he's got a fever and he's kind of throwing up. And I'm like, man, I, I got to take him to urgent care. Like, yeah, he's never been this sick before. 
So we, we hop in the car. It's literally the middle of summer in California. It's like 112 degrees outside. I'm so broke. I can't even, my, my air conditioner is broken. So I can't even turn the AC on. So me and my son were driving to, you know, racing to, to the urgent care windows down. I'm pulling over every couple of minutes because he's got to stop to throw up. Uh, so we, we finally make it there. I'm like drenched in sweat at this point. I'm like, hey, I need to check my son in. You know, he, he's not feeling well. He's sick. Can you guys see him? You know, they, they ask whatever questions. You're like, yeah, okay, cool. We'll get him checked in. And like, oh, last thing, it's a $15 copay for him to be seen today. Now, remember, my account's in the negative. So I have, I literally, I have nothing that I can do. So I tell them, I'm honest. I'm like, hey, I, I'm sorry. I don't have the $15. Like, can you, can you guys bill me later? They're like, no, I'm sorry. It needs to be paid today. Oh my God. I said, I, said, I'm, I was like, look, I, I literally do not have the money. Is there any way that I can be seen and we can take care of the payment later? They said, sir, I understand, but it, it's policy at this, at this urgent care that you have to pay to be seen. Wow. So I have to pick up the phone and call my son's mom and her husband. Remember, her and I had this, this rocky pass, and so I'm reaching out to her and her new husband, and I say, hey, can you guys meet me at, at the urgent care because I, I need you to pay this copay? So imagine the, the humbling feeling as, you know, I was 20 years old at the time of not having 60 quarters to pay for my son to get seen yeah. at, at the urgent care. So to, to go back to your question... I am so motivated by that experience because yeah. I never want to be back in that position again. So for me, the fear is is always the the biggest the biggest driver. Thank you for sharing that. That's that is a crazy crazy story, man. I I can only imagine how how much that would run through your mind, especially after after experiencing that. Um, yeah. How old and and is he healthy today? Oh yeah, he's good now. He's a uh, dude. He's he just started high school uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's he's playing basketball. He's I don't know six two right now, and you know he's 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 amazing, man. So um, everything's everything's fantastic now. But it's like those those moments, you know, that when you feel like you're at your your lowest, they can become a source of inspiration if you if you choose to let them be that. So yeah. th that's always kind of been been a driver for me. But we do have we do have big visions for the future. Our our ten year goal is to, to get our portfolio to be worth $1 billion. Wow. And our goal is that if we can get to a billion, 10, hopefully 10 years from now, there's a lot of institutional interest in short-term rentals and Airbnbs and you know, kind of these turnkey operations. We can sell it off you know, in pieces or all at once to, to someone that wants to buy it. And then we can, we can kind of ride off into the sunset from there. So that's, that's a big goal for us right now. So we're trying to put the pieces in place to, to execute on that vision. You guys, I, I think any of you listening, uh, for those of you that may have already known Tony, uh, this is you know, just even more great information to know about you personally. But for those of you that are just getting ready to know him uh, or just getting to know him right now, I, I think there's no question of why, you know, you have uh, gotten to where you're at today. Just the stories and the the motivators and, of course, you know, what you've got going with your business, both your businesses is is just really inspiring and, and awesome for a lot of people here to see. So I want to transition a little bit. I know the topic of this was to talk about, hey, you know, first time, short-term rental investors. We've kind of touched on that a little bit. I want to just get one thing from you here, and then I want to go to some questions that we've got that are piling up here in the comments. And for those of you that do have questions, go ahead and drop them in the comments right now. So you started out thinking, hey, I'm going to get into apartment syndication. You realize just how much more difficult of a path that still was going to be. And I know you still want to go back and, and do more of that, but why are short-term rentals a, call it lower hanging fruit, easier barrier of entry. Why do you find that that's an easier way for investors to get in? Yeah, I, I think short-term rentals offer probably the best risk-adjusted returns 
out of any asset class in real estate investing today? And I say risk adjusted because obviously there are some ways you can go out and make a make a ton of money, but there's also a lot of risk, right? Like if I wanted to go in and develop a you know a 150 home subdivision, the returns of that are probably great, but there's also a lot of risk in doing something like that as well. Or on the flip side, I could go buy a turnkey long-term rental, which has very little risk, but the returns are probably significantly lower as well. So I think when you look at both the risk and the reward, uh, short-term rentals to me are like the, the holy grail. And the reason I think that is part of what you mentioned is that the, the barrier to entry is significantly lower for short-term rentals yeah. than something like apartment complexes, self-storage, RV parks, mobile home parks. Like it's a single family house, yeah. which the, you know so many Americans today and people across the globe have the ability to go out and purchase. Um, so I, I just think even just from a mental standpoint, from like a, a psychological standpoint, people can wrap their heads around, let me go buy a cabin in Tennessee versus let me go buy a, a 100 unit apartment complex somewhere else. Yeah. So yeah. I think that piece by itself, I think the the lending options on short-term rentals are phenomenal. You know, we, we buy a lot of ours using second home loans. There are some limitations around that, but um, if you have the the income, you have the, the DTI, you can go out and just literally buy a property in a pretty straightforward manner. And then second, I think is that, and, and I think this is starting to change as more people come into this space, but I think initially it was, it was, relatively easy to be successful in this space mm -hmm. because before Airbnb and Verbo, the people that were kind of dominating the vacation rental space were these old mom and pop operations that didn't really care about what it looked like, didn't really care about the guest experience, right? Like they were just collecting their 40% management fees and if the property did well, the property did well. So if you came in and you just cared and you you took photos that were somewhat decent, you know, and, and you you didn't have green carpet, like you were going to kind of rise to the top of the, in your market. So th those are just a few of the reasons why I think short-term rentals are, are a great place to, to start. Awesome. I mean, all those are exactly why I liked going over towards the short-term rentals. And for me, acceleration is the word that comes to mind. And mm -hmm. it was funny, man, when I first got started, and I, I've told this a few times, but when I first got started, I heard all these people bragging about their 40 rental properties that were making them $8,000 in total per month. And I'm like, I got six properties, three that I own, three that I don't, that are making me $8,000 per month. And three of them are one ones. Like, wait, right. so <laughs> right. I love, I love the acceleration side of it, but let's, let's, I want to make sure to get some of these questions answered. Um, we've got some good ones here and I will get to all these here. Uh, but first of all, Nathan has a good question. In fact, Nathan um, has a lot of properties in Newport. I don't know if you know him, but Nathan Secor, but he says, uh, what do you see as the annual income versus P-I-T-I, what's your goal? I kind of asked him, what, can you be a little more specific? He said, is, for example, if you bought today and P-I-T-I was 60K for the year, would you expect that gross revenue to be maybe 120K or double? Or how do you really, I think what the question there is, um, what kind of ROI do you know to look for in order to really uh, say if it's a deal or not? Yeah, I get this question a lot where people kind of want um, something like the 1% rule, the 2% rule in, in the long-term rental space. And well, I, I I hate to share this because it, it really is going to vary market by market and investor by investor. But generally, if, if your gross income is at least 20% of your purchase price, I think you'll, you'll have a, a decent deal. So if I buy a $500,000 property, it should do at least $100,000 in revenue. Nice. Um, and, and if you have that kind of spread, typically you can, you can do a good job. But in terms of cash on cash return, everyone's going to have a different goal, right? Because someone might value appreciation more than cash flow, or someone might value location 
more than appreciation or cash flow. So someone might be happy with a 6% return in Maui because they can go there and use it whenever they want to, where someone else might want a 30 or 40% return because they're, they're only going to use the property as an investment. So it'll, it'll vary a bit. Speaking of which, I'm getting on a plane to go there on Monday. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to butcher this name. Looks like Havazus uh, says, what does your team consist of? That, that's interesting for me too, especially being in a few different markets. What does that team look like? Yeah. So in, in each market, we have uh, obviously our, our, our main cleaner and our cleaner typically has you know several people on their team. Um, in Joshua Tree, I want to say there's like eight of them. Um, in Tennessee, I think there's there's four or five of them. Um, and then we have like a, a handyman crew in each market as well. In JT, it's a lot bigger, that handyman crew, because they do our, our day-to-day handyman tasks, but they also do all of our rehabs out there as well. Um, so that, that, that crew is a little bit bigger. Um, so that, that's what the kind of on the, on the ground, boots on the ground team looks like. Um, from, from a company perspective, uh, we have myself, uh, my wife. Um, my wife runs all like the, the rehabs for us and she kind of helps with some of the guest communication. Still, uh, we have uh, a third partner who handles all of our investor relations. Uh, we have an operations manager. We have three virtual assistants, uh, an acquisitions manager and a bookkeeper. Um, nice. so that's kind of the, the main team for us right now. That's awesome, man. Okay. Thank you. Uh, this was the question that I was wanting to ask, but I'm going to wait until now, John says, uh, what methods do you use to raise capital from investors and how do you structure the GP or LP equity partnership split? So I know you said that the podcast helps you get those leads, but what about beyond that when you um, get to those conversations? What what do they look like and how are you structuring those? Yeah. I mean, so we've got a website, alphageekcapital.com. You guys can all go over there and, and take a look to see how it's laid out. But essentially we just lay out, hey, here's what we're good at. Here's the value that we bring. Uh, if you're interested in working with us, click this button, fill out this form. Uh, they hop on a call with our our head of investor relations, my, my third partner. Uh, he'll kind of walk them through how we operate, how we model. Uh, and if they're interested, we'll, we'll add them to the pipeline. Uh, if they're not, we tell them no hard feelings. They, they kind of go about their way, but that's that's typically what it looks like. And uh, in terms of the structure, first I'll say there is no right or wrong way to set up these partnerships. Sure. Um, at the end of the day, it's whatever makes you happy and makes that other person happy. And if you find a partner who, I don't know, maybe they're like a a, a wealthy doctor and you know they're just kind of investing with their play money. Maybe they don't need a, a super large return, and maybe they're happy with certain terms. If you're partnering with somebody who's you know giving you their life savings to buy this first Airbnb, they're they're maybe going to be a little bit more involved and, and want a different kind of you know return than than the other person. So at the end of the day, as long as both you and the partner are happy, there's no right or wrong answer. But here, here's what I'll say in terms of structure: there, there's a few things you can play with. You can play with the the actual equity ownership. In a property. So maybe one person owns 60 and the person owns 40. So the equity ownership, you can play with the profit splits. Yep. So equity and, and profits don't always necessarily need to line up. And we have some deals where those things are, are not one and the same. So maybe someone has 20% equity, but they get 40% of the profits or something like that. You have capital contribution, right? So how much capital is each person putting in? And then you have like capital recapture. So say I put in 100K, you put in nothing. When we go to sell the property, maybe I get my 100K back before we split anything. So there, there's a few different levers you can pull. Um, for us, most of our deals today, uh, our partners bring all the capital and then we'll do all the work of finding the property, rehabbing it, doing everything like that. And then we'll just put the profits down the middle, typically. I love it. I love it, man. And I think that's the key there, right? It, I've done probably about four partnership deals and they've all been different. Not one has looked the same to the next. Mm-hmm. It just comes down to what is that 
capital, the person who's bringing the capital, what are they bringing to the table? What do they need in return? And does it make sense for your numbers as well? I think that's, uh, that's good that you're doing it the same way. Like, that's, that's awesome. Thanks, man. I got a really serious question from a mutual friend of ours, Alex Sabio. He says, hey, yeah. Tony. <laughs> says, hey Tony, how do you keep your skin looking so smooth? <laughs> Wait, I, I, got, I got to give Alex a shout out because earlier in the story, I mentioned my friend that said he bought a cabin in the Smoky Mountains and it was Alex. So Alex, I appreciate you, brother. Every time I, every opportunity I get, I make sure to give you some love, man. So Alex, Alex is my boy. Love it. All right, last question here from Kareen. Uh, she says, how do you pick your areas? Do you pick your areas you know, or do you have areas far away from your home? Yeah, we, we do a little bit of both. Um, our, our first cabin was over 2,000 miles away from us, so we don't necessarily need to invest in our backyard, but there's there's three things I'm looking for. Um, I want to make sure that the, the permitting process is clear and that I can legally operate. Um, I want to make sure that there's a, a decent number of listings already active in that market. Uh, I'm probably not going to go into a market where there's only five listings. Um, a, because it'll be difficult, I think, to generate consistent revenue. And then B, just finding a cleaner and a handyman, I think will be right. significantly uh, a big challenge as well. So permits, popularity, and then I, I just want to be able to make sure I can get the return. So we, we've we been all over the country this past summer, kind of looking in, in different markets. I was, we were in New Mexico. We were, I just came back from Utah. We were in Western New York. We were in Missouri. Like, so we're, we're kind of looking wherever we need to look to try and find the, the markets that check those three boxes. I, I, the last thing I'll say is that like, if you go into some of the big, super mature markets now, just know that your returns will probably be a little bit compressed. Your revenue might be might be somewhat higher, but your returns will probably be compressed. Um, so what we're, what we're kind of looking into now is like, okay, can we find some maybe secondary and yeah. tertiary markets where maybe the revenue isn't as big, but the returns are significantly better? I love it, man. And last question for me, what's next for you? I know you've got some really cool deals going on. I know one with Rob Belt, uh, the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. That's pretty cool. I'd l- I think people would like to hear about that. Yeah, man. So we we got a lot going on. We got properties we're setting up, rehabs we're doing. But yeah, Rob and I are we're, we're co-raising for a hotel out in Big Bear Lake, California. Um, so if you guys you want to know more about that, just go to alphageekcapital.com forward slash Big Bear. And you guys can, can find out more about that. But I mean, we're, we're focused on the content. So my wife and I have the YouTube channel, The Real Estate Robinsons. Uh, we're trying to drop two videos a week right now. So if you guys want some more in- info, you guys can check us out there. And outside of that, man, just trying to trying to do our best to march towards a billion bucks in the next, next 10 years. That's awesome. First of all, thank you for being so open and vulnerable about those stories. I think that was uh, really cool to, to see. And, and obviously, it's shaped you with who you are today. But thank you for coming on, bringing some value and helping our audience to conquer the world of Airbnb. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you having me, and I hope all the listeners got some value from it, man. Show notes for this one, fearlesskyle.com forward slash Tony Robinson. That's Tony Robinson, not Tony Robbins. Very easy to spell his name, spelled just like it sounds. And if you go there, you can watch this again. You can listen again, see the show notes, plus get linked to his website, like you said, Alpha Geek Capital, and you can see all the deals that he's doing. That's it today for the Fearless Investor Podcast. We're helping you to conquer the world of Airbnb. Thank <laughs> you.